human to low humans of the world. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Here I am with you on the last Monday of August of 2020. I'm thrilled to be back talking to you about idealists and idealism. We've got a great show. We're going to talk about a massive act of idealism that occurred last week. And then our big interview will be an encore interview of a man that you will enjoy. His name is Dan Blake, who survived a life-altering stroke and then cancer and then became an idealist in the process. We did his show about a year ago, and you will enjoy hearing from him again. In my C block, I'm going to talk about the state of America at the moment. Um, but let's begin with last week's big act of idealism, an action not simply by one person, but by an entire team of people, which then rippled to an entire league and others. And for my regular listeners, you probably have an idea of where I'm going with all of this. I am talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and their decision to not play their playoff game against the Orlando Magic on the night of Wednesday, August 26th. Some of what I'm relaying to you is from an August 27th story in The Guardian by Bashir Sankara in an August 27th LA Times editorial. But let's recount the underlying facts. By now, most are aware of a black man named Jacob Blake being the victim of a police shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin on Saturday, August 22nd. That sparked protests that turned into unrest and property damage. It raised issues about policing yet again, like we saw here in the Twin Cities in late May and early June. Since the Milwaukee Bucks are from Wisconsin, there was the affinity to be particularly concerned and connected to Jacob Blake's situation. On Wednesday, the Bucks and Orlando Magic were supposed to play Game 5 of their playoff series. And on Wednesday night, just before the tip-off, the Bucks decided not to leave their locker room. The Orlando Magic then joined the mini-strike. Um, and then did, so did then the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Houston Rockets and the Portland Trailblazers and the LA Lakers. And then that was followed in baseball by the Milwaukee Brewers and then the LA Dodgers and the Giants and the Mets and then you name it. And then the WNBA and then major soccer league canceled games. Um, but this really is about basketball. Before this, the NBA had allowed teams to make various social change statements like NBA-approved slogans on jerseys such as Black Lives Matter. A point to remember here is that 75% of the NBA is comprised of black players, and many players come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Juxtapose this against the fact that the majority of viewers of NBA games, the majority of viewers, are white color or white-color-identifying people. This is a pretty big deal, as LeBron James, maybe the best living basketball player today, tweeted, quote, we demand change, period, sick of it, unquote. That was a tweet. Interestingly, I'm sure just by pure coincidence, Wednesday the 26th was the fourth anniversary that a, a porter first noticed that Colin Kaepernick was sitting and not standing for the national anthem. By the way, you can go to my podcast from December 10, 2018, from that show highlighting Colin Kaepernick as an idealist. The Milwaukee Bucks didn't just strike. They also issued a statement, and part of that statement was this, 
Quote, over the last few days in our home state of Wisconsin, we've seen the horrendous video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times by a police officer in Kenosha and the additional shooting of protesters. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action, so our focus today cannot be on basketball. When we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, we're expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort, and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from our lawmakers and law enforcement. We are calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demand the officers be held accountable. For this to occur, it is imperative for the Wisconsin State Legislature to reconvene after months of inaction and take up meaningful measures to address issues of police accountability, brutality, and criminal justice reform. We encourage all citizens to educate themselves, take peaceful and responsible action, remember to vote on November 3. That was a statement by the Milwaukee Bucks after they did their strike. Note, this is the same kind of call for action that had Governor Walls calling the Minnesota legislature back into session two separate times in order to pass some meaningful police reform measures here in Minnesota. We finally got some measures passed, not everything that everybody wanted, but we got some. As I have said time and again, one act of idealism also ripples to cause other idealists to show up. Thus, we had Kenny Smith, a former NBA player who is a commentator with Inside the NBA, walk off the set right in the middle of their show. Um, after the show, um, well, sorry, at the beginning of the show, what he said is, quote, I think the biggest thing now as a black man, as a former player, I think it's best for me to support the players and not be here tonight, unquote. That's what Kenny Smith said before he unplugged his mic and then grabbed his bag and walked off the set. <clears throat> President Trump, of course, has reacted to the NBA, be, uh, claiming that it's become a political organization. And his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, made a smart aleck remark about the rich players being able to take a night off. Another White House official by the name of Mark Short called the NBA the Bucks protest, quote, absurd. The best summary, though, of all of this came from the L.A. Clippers coach, Doc Rivers, and I'm going to play right now an excerpt about what Doc Rivers had to say. Please listen carefully, and you'll hear the emotion in his voice. And this, this spewing this fear, right? Like, all you hear Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear, we're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung. We've been shot, and all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's, it's amazing to me why we keep loving this country, and this country does not love us back. It's just, it's really so sad. Like, I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color you know it's just really sad we got to do better we got to do better it's so sad that's doc rivers uh, the la clippers coach with those words you know 
He's right. We have to do better. And the NBA, they're leading the way on how to do it, even to the point now that they've, they've declared that NBA stadiums will be polling places. I don't know how that's going to work with state regulations about polling places, but hopefully it all meshes because obviously that will bring out even more people to vote. This idealism thing, how one group of people, they stand up against injustice, in this case, the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and of course, it's, a, it's such a visible sense of idealistic act. I mean, you have these players saying, we're not going to do this, and then everything else ripples all to other places. Now, this all, you know, essentially we talked about one to two days worth of interruption in American <laughs> very limited sports world right now. But the tone has been set. The stage has been set. I would not be surprised if the NBA comes back again with even more strikes and even more public statements. This is what idealism does. This is how it works. This is how it ripples. And it's pretty important to bear that in mind as we go forward. Okay, I thought you'd like that. All right, when we come back, uh, you're going to hear the interview with Dan Blake. You will enjoy it. He is quite the um, idealist, and he's very um, inspiring. So enjoy that, and I'll see you on the C-Block at the end. Thanks. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota, dot com. We are back on AM 950, Ellie 2.0 Radio, Ellie Krug here. And now, uh, here we are, uh, time for the big interview. And I've got another giant here, but this would be a giant in surviving the human condition. I have with me uh, Dan, Daniel Blake. Dan obtained his BA from Bethel University and then his law degree from the University of Minnesota. Uh, he practiced in rural Minnesota throughout his career um, with a vi wide variety of practice but then he suffered a major stroke, and he's going to talk with us about that. 
Uh, then after that, he adjusted the way he practiced law. And currently, in addition to do, doing some uh, legal work on the side, he's also the Pine County examiner of titles. He's got a passion for writing and sharing his experiences. Uh, folks, uh, you're going to listen right now to an interview with a man who will inspire you about living life. Daniel Blake. Dan Blake, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you, Ellie. I'm just thrilled to have you here. And, you know, we should let the um, audience know about how you and I got to know each other. I mean, you kind of rang me out of the blue. And right. You know, um, my audience has heard in the past that I have this thing called a standing offer that I will meet with any human in a public place to talk to them about surviving the human condition, talk to them for at least an hour. Um, and and you and I went and did that. We, total strangers, we went and had lunch. Right. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and then you shared this incredible story about about your life. And... And it so inspired me. I knew I'd want to have you on my show. And at this point, I'm going to, I'm going to shut up. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what, what's gotten you to where you are right now, being a huge idealist. Sure, sure. Um, I was going through life quite nicely, as I thought. Um, had a thriving law practice and, and was uh, 41 years old and wonderful family and so forth. However... Um, Apparently, uh, my wiring my brain was wrong. I had a birth defect. Uh, it's called an AV malformation, and it led to a stroke. It was a major stroke. I ended up with the uh, ambulance ride, a later helicopter ride to the hospital. This and is an, in 2003, right? Yes, exactly. And you're how old at that point? 41 years old. Okay, go ahead. All right. And so I had a helicopter ride to the hospital, and uh, they did some tests, and they rushed me in there. We're going through tests and determined what had happened to me. And the next day, they cut my head open and uh, cauterized off the bleed in my brain. It was a bleed stroke and uh, uh, sewed me up. And the next morning, the doc came in and said, uh, well, we think we got the bleeding stopped. Um, you're alive, um, but you had a major stroke. And just keeping it real, um, we can't tell you that you'll – walk, speak, or, or regain your cognitive ability, um, move your arm. I was paralyzed completely on the right side of my body. Uh, they didn't rule it out, but, I mean, the damage was major, and they couldn't tell me that I would recover at all and uh, that I'd be in the hospital for weeks and months and have a nice Christmas. That was December 2003. And he's telling you this along with your telling your wife at that time as well, right? Correct. Correct. Okay, and she is, of course, freaking out. Exactly. We had, at the time, three of our four children were born, and they're young children. And uh, at the time, I was the sole source of income in the family. And, uh, yes, she's freaking out because a lot of weight fell on her shoulders that she had never anticipated. Okay. All right. So go ahead and bring us forward. So you're told by a doc, you may not ever talk or walk ever again, right? right? Okay. And my, apparently my cognitive ability was estimated to be, or my IQ was estimated to be 40. Um, <laughs> they did some tests along the way, and I could not identify a shape such as a, 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 a notebook looks like a rectangle or that looks like a different uh, rectangle versus a circle, that sort of thing. That's where I was at cognitively. I knew what had happened to me, what the okay. doctor was saying. I could not move the right side of my body. I could not think very well, and I could not speak very well. Okay. Uh, okay, Dan, it sounded very bleak. Yes. So what happened, my friend? Well, I, of course, I cried myself to sleep plenty of times. But as I was in the hospital, they said, we will put you in on the rehab floor, um, and we'll first put you in a regular room and make sure you survive. Which hospital is this? Because people are wondering right now. Yeah. North Memorial. Okay. Um, 
In it, north, uh, north of Minneapolis, right? Correct. Yep. Correct. And uh, so eventually, after about a week or so, they, they had me starting to go to therapy um, twice a day. And I had what they called physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. The speech therapy really was trying to get my mind going. But they had me going down for that twice a day. And I encountered just so many people and so many experiences as I was hoping that I would regain something. Uh, they didn't tell me I couldn't, but I mean, they said, we, we can't tell you that you will. This is major damage and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so that was, that was where I learned a whole lot of things. And everything I thought I knew about life was potentially out the window. Um, I looked at pictures of my children, thought about my wife, thought about my practice, which I didn't much care about at that point, but thought about even being able to walk and move. And all that was highly in question at that point in time. You're touching my heart right now as you speak. Go ahead, please. Uh, so I went through the process. Fortunately, fairly quickly along the way, within a matter of several weeks, my mind was coming back. They were testing me constantly and giving me mind practicing games. Okay. Um, and then positive reinforcement, I assume. Right. Well, they <laughs> kept telling me that, that you're, you're recovering well and you're doing well. And eventually they said, you're, you're fine. And then in physical and occupational therapy, they kept telling me I'm working so hard. And, and I kind of was questioning that because I, I said, well, gee, I'm not able to move. You're taking my leg and moving it for me. You're taking my arm, you're moving it for me. I don't, I'm not working hard. And I didn't get it at the time, but they explained to me that, no, most people that have been through what you've been through would be giving up. Okay. They wouldn't even be showing up. Exactly. Emotionally. Right, right. Okay. They, they're physically in the hospital. They didn't have a choice, but they, they wouldn't be into it. And, they, and, and I, I encountered a great many other stroke victims as we sat in our wheelchairs waiting for our turns in therapy and, and found some really uh, despondent, down folks, very understandably so with what they'd been through. Right. Well, why were you different? Um, Here's what I believe. I believe there's a couple things. Number one, and, and this is really one of my big points, I so believe in hope. Um, and I was able to find that, yes, I cried myself to sleep, but I so believe in hope. Um, it occurred to me somewhere along the way that I had a choice between hope and despair. In fact, a thesaurus says the antonyms of hope are not only despair, but, but hatred and fear. Hmm. Uh, I chose hope. Now, I would like to say that that was through some great moral character, and I certainly dug into the former you know, high school athlete that got floor burns and hustled, that sort of thing. But also, I believe that there are angels in life. They don't wear wings. They don't have you know, heavenly choir voices. They're, they're, they appear in human form. They're humans. Uh, but there were so many cards there were so many flowers, people stopping to see me. I heard about people praying for me in churches I'd never heard of. <laughs> and that support, as well as other people I encountered in that process, were uh, angels. I mean, th there was, for instance, a stroke visitor. I uh, got a knock on my door one night. It was a, as a gal who said, hi, you know, if you're, if you're tired, I won't stop in. But uh, I would like to uh, speak with you. She had come in and explained that she'd had a stroke previously some years earlier. She had come in in a wheelchair, and her, her arm was uh, n not usable. And she explained her life. Um, she'd left a very good job, but she wasn't fired, and she chose to leave it, and it, it made other choices. And I was so inspired because she was going to leave after she met with me and go home. <laughs> she, I was, I was, you know, I didn't know how long I'd be in the hospital. I don't, didn't know what kind of life I might have. 
and and she had a life. You know, it might have been a life in a wheelchair. It might have been a life in a different job than the high-paying one that she'd had previously, but she had a life. And furthermore, I learned this later because I'm a slow learner, but uh, she also explained the changes she'd made leaving the high-paying job, which baffled me at the time. I said, well, were you fired? Well, no. I mean, you didn't have to leave it. No. She had it, left it after her stroke or Correct. beforehand? After her after stroke. stroke. Okay. Because she was reinventing her life. Okay. So I want to stop on that point, okay? We're going to have to take a break. Mm-hmm. But I want to come back about reinventing. And then this, we're, we're not done with the challenges that you had because you had some other ones Correct. that came along. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, we're speaking with uh, Dan, Dan Blake, um, a lawyer um, and... Human Inspire Extraordinaire. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Um, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Uh, please uh, email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com because I love hearing from you. And, of course, please follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. We'll be back in a minute and talk further with Dan Blake. Bye-bye. Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Um, We've been speaking with Dan Blake about his experience of encountering a stroke and changing his life. And Dan, when we broke, uh, you started to talk about being inspired to to even work harder in the hospital, inspired to to start really changing the way you're, apparently the way you're even viewing the world at that point. You want to talk about that some more? Yes, yes. I mean, there are several other angels too, one of whom was a psychiatrist who met with me and explained to me point blank that I needed to change. Um, or that I would want to. And again, I, that didn't sink in fully right away, but she said, don't worry about trying to be the person that you were or, huh. the, or the person you think you need to be or the person that others want you to be. Give yourself permission to change. Um, now, like I say, I'm a slow learner. I later, a few years later, had a bout with cancer. Um, and then uh, my doc says well, I've been struck by lightning three times. A few years later, I had a second major stroke that was unrelated to the first one, also caused by a birth defect, and I was back in the hospital. Um, oh, my God. So I'm a slow learner, but I do think that I eventually got the permission to change thing uh, going. And really, it, I'm, a, I'm a good-natured contrarian to start with. I like to think of, think of things differently than the way – 
they are or other people think they are or need to be. By nature, I like to consider how they could be. And I really turn that on to myself inwardly and examine who I was, uh, how things were, could they be viewed differently. And that has led me to blogging and uh, has led me to writing and starting to speak uh, publicly about some of my experiences and perhaps some of the things I've learned by being almost forced to change but also encouraged to do so. Well, and this was partly what we talked about over lunch because you had said to me, Correct. this was a path that you wanted to take. And, and, um, and so what um, you're still practicing law to a certain degree, right? Correct. Kind of the rest of that evolution is that I had had uh, an uncle who had no children, no spouse, and as he got ill and, and with dementia, I was, you know, my cousin and I took care of him. My mother uh, got dementia and was taking care of her. I have a developmentally disabled sister with stage four cancer, and I was raising four children. So one of the biggest effects for my strokes is that I don't have a full tank of gas in terms of energy. Uh-huh. So I'd cut back on the law practice, and I was also trying to take care of children and adult-dependent relatives. Well, as my children aged and started to graduate, and my uncle passed, my mother passed, I realized I finally could kind of breathe. I had a little bit of time on my hands, and I was antsy to do more. But going back to re-upping the law practice and getting more clients, it was like fingers on a chalkboard to me. I didn't want to go there. (laughs) I did not have the enthusiasm I had as a young lawyer. But I thought I love to write. I love to speak, and I'm energized by sharing some of the things I've experienced and perhaps some of the perspectives it's given me. And so I got serious about the blog, and that was right around the time I thought, oh, there's this person that speaks at uh, Continuing Legal Ed named Ellie Krug. I'd signed up for her newsletter, uh, The Ripple, and it's inspiring, and gee, it's cool. And hey, she's a lawyer, but I think she speaks and writes most of the time. So then I reached out and emailed you, and that led to launch. And ironically, the same day we're having lunch, I got a contact from another friend who wanted to organize a speaking group and wanted me as a speaker. I mean, things have just come together in that respect. And, and I'm just, I'm eating it up. I've been loving doing it. And uh, it's, 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 been, it's been the change that I need to give myself permission to do. Okay, so bef- I, I want to come back to some of what you just said, but let's make sure people get where's your blog? My blog. Where, if they, yep. Yep. So uh, it's reflectionsofaflawedman.com, all lowercase, one word, reflectionsofaflawedman.com. However, I think I've had enough hits that if you just Google the normal words, reflections of a flawed man, um, it will pop up, and that's where I blog. Okay, all right. And, and uh, listeners, uh, I've gone to the blog. There are some really, really great things on the blog about looking at the world differently, about taking taking time to understand um, that life is far more than um, having to make that 13 appointments in one week that you have set out in your calendar right now. So, Dan, we have in common the idea of going through a huge life change and then looking at the world differently and approaching it differently because, you know, I was a very... Uh, high-energy, high-intense uh, trial lawyer in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a couple of oxymorons in there. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, once I transitioned genders and went through 
all of that, um, certainly I looked at the world way differently than what it is, you know, what I looked at it before. And I did, you know, to a large degree, gave myself permission to finally be Ellie Krug, who is this hopeless idealist who <laughs> absolutely wants to change the world. And I think that that's partly why I have listeners. They want, they, they like that about me. So you, you're approaching this, um, you know, my, my take is about diversity and inclusion. Yours is more human humanistic and it's more right. about um i mean i think that we ha share in common that you know this thing about surviving the human condition right and right. it's and it's not a given talk to me about what do you think where does the bravery lie does everybody have to have a stroke or a sex change operation in order for them to change their lives no i don't think so at all i think there's a couple things people could do number one is to Look for the angels that are out there. Um, often we all get knocked down in one way or another. And uh, there are people out there that they may or may not even know they're being angels. But looking for them helps us see both humanity and people, but also it, it lets us know that we're loved by people. Um, so looking for the angels. The other thing I, I encourage is looking at people as individual people. Everyone has their own experiences. Yep. Everyone has had happy experiences. Everyone's had tough ones. Um, and I try very hard not to presume anything about anyone and look at everyone through the, for their own humanity. Everyone has worth. Uh, everyone has dignity. Um, everyone uh, needs love. Um, so I, I, encourage, I encourage that sort of thing. It doesn't require having had a, a major life change. Um, major life changes sometimes force one to look at different perspectives, but it can send one in different directions too. And I, I encourage a positive uh, direction of hope, of, of, of change, and of seeing humanity and the individual humans that make up humanity. So other than Ellie Krug, because you, I mean, you are such a memorable person, but have you heard from other people where your presence, with you sharing your story, has somehow caused them to pivot? in some way or another. Yes. And in fact, to some extent, the speaking group that organized itself and asked me to speak it did so for that very reason, and they selected me as their speaker. So from whole cloth, I'm inventing talks for them. Okay. Um, very, very intelligent, capable people, but they, they wanted to hear from me. Um, the other thing I did, I have a very clunky piece on my blog. The first thing I wrote was called Divorce. But that was writing about how everything I thought about myself was divorced after I had the first stroke. I was alive. That was it. I didn't know if my wife would stick with me mm. and see my kids. I couldn't practice law. I couldn't do a physical job because I couldn't move. So I had to start and re-piece everything in life and reprioritize everything uh, rather than the sort of the jumbled up, well, I would tell you what life's priorities were and I'd tell you the right thing. Uh, no, I had to actually go back piece by piece and try and make it. After your first stroke, how long did it take you to get back to the point where you could have a normal conversation with someone? Um, that was a process, but I was in the hospital about a month, uh, seven months of rehab. Okay. Um, my cognitive ability came back in a sense within about three weeks. However, I recall that I still couldn't process a lot of things and I didn't have uh, – uh, the ability to like think through our budget and finances and what we would do. We're, we're costing us money. We're broke, basically. Uh, that took months. But I could converse, you know, within a few weeks, but I couldn't process much. Sure. So back to um, back 
you know, to us changing and, and <clears throat> you're, what you're doing now is you're going out, you're sharing your story and right. you're sharing the lessons that you've got from your story. Right. All right. And you know, and what idealists are doing is idealists want to change the world. Okay. They really want the world to be a different way. And, and how, how do you want the world to be different than what it is right now? I want the world to be different in that to see people and individual human beings and the humanity and everyone and, you know, sort of take one great big uh, collective valium and, and, and <laughs> so that we can, we can slow down and see that and appreciate that and reach out to it. And in turn, uh, others respond to that sort of thing. In other words, be an angel. That, that doesn't mean trying to be a busybody, but that just means uh, seeing the humanity in others, um, offering a kind word, um, just listening sometimes. Um, those are angel-type things, um, and that's that's a sort of change idealistically that I would like to see and encourage. Well, I mean, it's a incredibly important right now where we are in our country where, you know— uh, I, I I was just out on in San Francisco uh, speaking at an ABA American Bar Association mm-hmm. conference, and <clears throat> one of the people I spoke to, I was sharing about my experiences in the Midwest, about how welcomed I am in small towns across mm-hmm. the Midwest. And the woman said to me, she said, "Well, I'm in, you know, I'm a coast person, and I want to be where all the people are that are that think like me." And I I can't even think of what it would be like to be in the Midwest, you know, and what that caused me to, I, I felt sorry for the woman uh, that said that to me because I, I felt, boy, you have just created such tunnel vision for right. yourself. You really have. And it, and it seems to me that what you're doing is you're going out and you're helping people gain perspective about what it means to be human. Right. And, and, you know, we tend to, we, we all live in bubbles and we tend to view things a certain way, but, but without the facts to truly support them. And I think one of the things I encourage people to do is uh, don't take things as facts until they're really, really sturdy. Just suspend that disbelief, which also helps the individual not get emotionally invested in false facts. But take a step back and look at the, the facts, look at the individual's Recognize our own bubbles, step outside, and just, you know, maybe try to view some people in a more hopeful manner, and they may not be as bad as one might think, or they may not share certain characteristics that one thinks negatively of. Um, I really encourage that because I think we wind ourselves into knots when we, when we invest in things that are incorrect or are hurtful or view people negatively. Um, and folks often don't deserve that. Right. Well, in the end, it's about becoming familiar with humans and giving right. them a chance so that you can get to know them as humans, as, as right. who they are versus part of a group or part of a stereotype that we encounter. Correct. Well, Dan Blake, um, it has been a pleasure to have you on LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you for coming again. Give your website uh, for people. Uh, reflections of a Flawed Man. All right. And you're available to do talks. um, Yes, I am. Surviving the human condition, right? And if anyone wishes to email me, uh, danielblakelaw at outlook.com. Okay. Well, Dan Blake, thanks for being here on LE 2.0 Radio. I've loved having you. Good luck to you as you go forward. And you know I'm here for you if you ever need anything. Thank you, Ellie. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, uh, Dan Blake for you there. I'm inspired. I hope you are. Um, We'll be back in a minute and I'll do my C block. Thanks so very much. Bye. 
Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the reuse warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out reusebfm.com. That's reusebfm, as in Better Futures Minnesota, .com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. I'm back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. All right, Dan Blake. Very inspiring. I told you he would be. And you can follow him. He's got a blog. Uh, the blog, you can just Google this, Reflections of a Flawed Man. Just Google it, um, and you'll come up with Dan Blake's. It's very inspirational. He's got stories on there, and he's got some philosophy. Just very, very, um, just great stuff. So, all right. So, we're in my C block. And I want to talk about America right now, okay? Um, some of you know that I live in the heart of downtown, not even uh, two blocks from U.S. Bank Stadium and three blocks from Nicollet Mall. Last Wednesday, I had a dinner with some friends and got home about 7.30. Shortly thereafter, I started uh, seeing reports of looting, not protests, but looting on Nicollet Mall. And then, of course... I heard the sirens. I went outside on my balcony where I can literally look up East Street and see Nicolette Mall. And I saw the flashing lights and heard and saw the helicopters. And instantly my gut began to hurt. It, looked like, it hurt like it had been hurting the same way for a week and a half in late May and early June. That hurt feeling came back. And I got that feeling back in late May and early June as when I would go out and stand on my balcony at 2.30 in the morning and look to the south of me and see just a red glow off in the horizon as buildings were burning. I went to bed on Wednesday night and then woke up to read about Kyle Rittenhouse shooting and killing people, allegedly, in Kenosha with the claim of self-defense. And then on Saturday... Just two days ago, we had a caravan of a couple hundred trucks and vehicles of Trump supporters driving into Portland, downtown, looking for trouble. And it came to them in the form of one person of their caravan being killed. I recount all of this because right now it seems as if the fabric holding America together is about to split wide open. 
And while there is a part of me that wants to run away, to, ch- to chuck it all, to go into just pure survival mode, to run, to drive out of the Twin Cities and never come back, there's another way bigger part of me, the idealist in me, that is doubling down. You see, I have firsthand experience of watching and experiencing how humans can change their thinking and behavior. My work of standing in front of audiences, now my work of being online in front of audiences, has literally I have seen people transformed when you inspire them to think and act differently. You know, Doc Rivers, you just heard in the first clip, the first segment, talk about fear. And so I say this to you, my friends, do not give into fear. Yes, there are bad people out there. And beyond that, there are ignorant, stupid, and selfish people, absolutely. But I continue to believe that most humans, like 98%, have good, empathetic hearts. They're afraid to exercise their empathetic hearts or they're not paying attention to do it, but they, 98% of us, red and blue and Bernie and whatever other variation you want, have good, empathetic hearts. What we need, though, are the right teachers and the right leaders to trigger those hearts. Joe Biden, of course, seems to understand this. That's why he keeps talking about empathy, about us being good and kind to each other. Locally in Minnesota, Governor Wall seems to get that as well. I have been so impressed by the many things, the emotional intelligence that he has shown throughout all of this that's been going on ever since late May. But we need more teachers. We need more leaders to step up. I am willing to do that. I am. But I don't have the clout or the cachet needed to give me the credibility. I mean, my goodness, start tweeting about me, start talking about me on Facebook, and you can help elevate me um, as a leader. And I'm not asking you to do that, but if you did that, that's the way it works. The bottom line here, though, about what I'm telling you is do not run away. Lean into the fear as difficult as that will be, and try to understand that we have to go through this process of discomfort, this bumpiness that we're going through right now, in order to get us ready to transform America. I mean, one of the things that we need to do is we need to get to know each other. We do. Anyone, how many of you just hang with people who look like you, have the same skin color of you, the same kind of religion as you? And we need to get past that. We need to be able and be willing to get to know people who are quote unquote other. And I'm sorry, but that takes far more courage to do that than it does to take, than it does to point a gun at another person. It takes way more courage and guts to sit in a conversation and just simply get to know each other, get to know someone who, you, who otherwise would be other to you. That takes 
incredible courage. I am someone who can help you get there. The way that I teach, the way that I train. And there are others. It's not only Ellie Krug, okay? If you are afraid, email me at ellijkrug at gmail.com. I will talk to you. I will do my best to calm you. This is something that we must do, this leaning in, this not running away, this facing our fear. This is something we must do, and we must do it together. I know the cliche, the initials for the United States are U, period, S, period. Us. It's true. We will get past this if we think of us, our common values. The idea that just with you, if you work hard and you persist, that you can succeed in America, like unlike you can in any other country. The idea that we want our children to do better. Do not run away. All right. That's it for our show. Um, A big thanks to my sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Um, Also, big thanks, of course, to my producer, Brett Johnson, who's doing a little bit of yeoman's work today. Brett, thank you, as always. And to you, my listeners, a big thanks to you. I hope you're enjoying this show and the new time slots. I ask that you um, communicate with me if you like. Uh, Tweet about me. My handle is at... At Ellie Krug, follow me on Twitter and let me hear from you if you want to talk, okay? I care about you. Go out and do some good. Talk to you next week.